Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. As we gather this morning to celebrate the resurrection, we, we cannot wait. I cannot wait until we are again able to gather and be together and worship together as a church family. And I know many of you have had great times together with your families Um, with others through various means to reach out, to stay connected, and that's important. And I've heard of some great things happening with our children and in homes as God is using uh, you moms and dads and grandparents to be the discipling agent um, in the lives of your children, and that is fantastic. Today, actually, Easter Sunday marks 14 years Uh, since we began our ministry here in Richmond and how we have seen God and his faithfulness and his blessing throughout the years. I want you to know that I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for those of you who are faithfully supporting the work of God here, for the partnerships that we have around the globe where the gospel, uh, like in India, is continuing to increase and influence even in and especially in such a time that we find ourselves in right here, right now. So this morning, I'm inviting you. Come on, let's go in our Bibles. Let's go to John's Gospel, the 20th chapter. We've been spending a considerable amount of time in the Gospel of John as we have looked at different individuals and how they were changed when they met Jesus. And that really continues for us today. As believers, we understand something. And and the title of our message is this, Lord, I Believe. As we look at John chapter 20, as we understand why John the Apostle, the Apostle of Love, put together this gospel, the unique presentation that he delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is writing so that if you've never said this, Lord, I believe that when you consider the claims of Christ, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, you also would say, with all of your heart, with all of your mind and soul, Lord, I believe. And we see this unfold in John 20. Now, the apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus and hated Jesus and had nothing to do with Jesus and actually was part of the first martyr of Stephen, And he held the coats for them. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 about the importance of the resurrection. That as Christians, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So as we gather this morning in all different locations and we remember that Jesus raised from the dead, Paul is saying, if it's only to give us comfort for here and now, if it's only like a rabbit's foot or something that we go through, a ritual, it's just something nice, and and you Christians have the resurrection, and other people and other faiths have these things and those things and those places, and you have the resurrection. Paul says, it's all about the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, we have nothing. We have no hope. We have no reason to sing. We have no reason to worship. But 
The next verse says, now Christ is risen from the dead. And so as we look in John's gospel, the 20th chapter, we want to examine John's account. We want to unpack why is it that we are so confident in Christ? Why is it that we, in the middle of a global pandemic, have hope that will survive the grave? And so we can comfort and we can serve. We want to better understand what happened on that first Easter Sunday. Who were the first eyewitnesses? How were things changed in their lives and in the first century because of the reality of the resurrection? And I'm going to keep making this case. Jesus is the one who changes everything. It's all about Jesus. And because he lives, he is the Lord of all, then everything changes because of Jesus Christ. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to just break apart John's 20th chapter in his gospel, and we're going to break it into five scenes. We're going to look at each scene by scene. We're going to look at the, the characters in the scene. Who are the individuals? Who are the eyewitnesses? What happened? How were they changed? And what difference does that make to you? 2,000 years ago, and here we are, and you're, sit, you're sitting, you're listening to me deliver through this medium, and you're saying, so what? What does this have to do with me? I want to lay that out for us this morning. The first scene is this. In the first 10 verses, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, is missing from the tomb. This is a problem. There's eyewitnesses, and, and they move from panic and confusion. They move to belief and to wonder, how did this happen? Follow along there in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we, here she's talking about the other ladies who were with her, we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, in case we had forgotten that, also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they, or, or he, speaking of Peter, did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So this is the first scene, and the Lord's body is missing from the tomb. First of all, we see, and John just focuses in on Mary Magdalene here, there were other women who were with her. They were the first witnesses which is not the way you want to begin a religion in the first century. Mary Magdalene, the other women, wouldn't, they would not have been able to testify in court. Their testimony would not have been received. But that God chose in his sovereign grace to have these women be the eyewitnesses of the resurrection of his son. 
The other accounts are in Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Luke 24. But as I said, John, his, he's just focused with Mary Magdalene. It's the first day of the week, and so now we call Sunday the Lord's Day. It's the, the day the church began, the early church began to worship. They transitioned from worshiping on the Sabbath, on Saturday, to the Lord's Day. Why? Because of the resurrection. It moved their day of worship. It was early in the morning that she left out while it was still dark, and dawn happened while she and the other ladies were on their way to the garden. What would bring them in the wee early hours of the morning? What would bring these women to a cemetery, to a garden where there was tombs? And, and just that's who wants to go there in the morning? These women did. They were brought by love. They loved Jesus. They were missing Jesus. The Sabbath was over. Now the restrictions are lifted. They could travel, and there was no restrictions, and they make their way under the cover of darkness to get to the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid. When they got there, the stone is already rolled away. So Mary, John says, runs, and she goes to tell Simon Peter, and then John refers to himself, I believe, when he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and she goes and she tells them, and right now, Mary is thinking, and the women are thinking that this, the grave has been robbed. Well, she would find out that the grave had indeed been robbed, but it wasn't who she thought. Then come Peter and John, and they start out in a foot race. John, he ran faster than Peter did. But when he got to the entrance, he recalls these events. He stopped, and he was looking in. He was checking out everything from outside of the tomb. And Peter finally showed up. He mentions this three different times. I'm faster than Peter was. Peter shows up, and he just goes right by John. And he goes in, and he looks around. And there's no chaos inside the tomb. There's, there wasn't a fight. There wasn't a struggle. There wasn't, it didn't look like thieves had come in and grabbed the body away and, and thrown the garments. Everything was there, and Jesus even took the, the headrest, the, the napkin that had covered his face and covered his head, and he made his bed. He folded it up, and he placed it somewhere else, off to the side, so that it looked orderly. And these guys are looking at this, and they're trying to understand what has happened here. What's taken place here? Now, John comes in after Peter, and he gets in, and he looks around, and he remembers, first of all, he was second in the tomb, but he was first in belief that Jesus, he told us that he would rise from the dead. And so they went home, and you remember, John was responsible for the care of Jesus' mother. And so he would have gone home, and they would have gone back to their dwelling places to tell others, this is what has happened, and they're trying to make sense of it all. They would have said something like this, well, we, knew, we know the Lord is missing from the tomb, and, but we don't know where he is. So what else are we going to do? And they go home. So what happened in this first scene? The eyewitnesses moved from panic and confusion to belief and wonder. All of the sadness, all of the confusion when the ladies showed up, the tomb is empty, stone is rolled back, run and get Peter, get James, or get John. They come to the tomb, and they're, they're just trying to make sense of it all. But the panic and confusion is giving way to belief and to wonder, to amazement. 
What is happening? Now the next scene. In the next scene, we see that the Lord is mistaken by Mary for the gardener. We see this in verses 11 down through 18. We're going to see Mary transition from sorrow to joy, to great joy. In John 20, verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So here we are in the second scene. And the Lord is mistaken by Mary for the gardener. She didn't hurry home like the, uh, the men had, but instead she stayed behind. She was so overcome with grief. She's mourning. She's weeping. She is the one who is set free by Jesus from seven demons. You can read about that in Luke's gospel, chapter 8 and verse 2. Jesus loved her and she loved Jesus. Where else was she going to go? What else did she have to get to that day? She came to be where the body of Jesus was and his body wasn't there. And so she's weeping and she's looking in and she's trying to understand. She sees the angels and there they are. And they ask her that question, woman, why are you weeping? And, and she answers, I'm looking for my Lord. They've taken his body. And she's still under the assumption that his body has been stolen, that someone has robbed the grave. Well, she's partly right, but what she's about to find out, it was Jesus who robbed the grave. He's the one that broke through all death, hell, and the grave, and he defeated Satan. And Mary's about to find this out, and Jesus says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And so Mary's still confused, thinks it's the gardener, the caretaker of the, of the garden tomb. And, and she's saying, please, can I have his body? Please just tell me. Maybe she's thinking Joseph of Arimathea changed his mind. And over the course of the, the days when Jesus' body was in the tomb, he's like, yeah, maybe I don't want to give up my, my family tomb. Maybe I want that back. Maybe that's too much risk. And, and so Mary doesn't understand, and she doesn't care, but she wants to honor the Lord Jesus. And she says, please tell me, tell me where is his body? I'll take it. And then Jesus called her by name. 
Imagine hearing your name from the risen Savior's lips. And she had watched her Lord and Savior be crucified and suspended between heaven and earth for her sin and for your sin and for my sin. And when she heard her master say, Mary, Miriam, she, she instantly knew his voice. She instantly realized this is Jesus and she fell down and she worshiped him and she reached out and at his feet she worshiped. And Jesus responds and here John gives to us several unusual statements that Jesus gives. He says, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father but go to my brothers. Notice he's not calling them children anymore. He's not calling them his servants anymore. Friends, he says, my brothers, there's a ministry for them. I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God, just like he cried out on the, on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's saying, we're in this together. You're my brothers. He's my father. He, if you know Christ, he's your father. We're brothers. Jesus is our elder brother. He opened the way that, as John 14 says, we can have access to the father. The meaning here is that Jesus was not going to stay here physically on the earth anymore. It was time for him to go. You can't hold on to me. He was going to go. He was going to send the Spirit, and his ministry would continue through the Holy Spirit, filling the lives of his disciples, of his followers. And Mary, you have to let me go. And he would ascend not long after, and he will come back. Mary did as Jesus commanded. She went and she announced this news, saying, I've seen the Lord, and here's his message for you. She published this. So in the second scene, we see Mary, she transitioned from deep, deep sorrow to great joy. She moved from sorrow to joy. And I'm wondering today on this Easter Sunday, has that happened in your heart and in your life? that the Lord has met you and taken you from great sorrow to great joy and hope in the reality of the resurrection. Now, there's a third scene. Now, in the third scene, the Lord is manifested to the disciples. He's made known to his disciples. And we see this in verses 19 through 23. That on the evening of that day, so it's still the first day of the week, the door is being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And the Father, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when they had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. In this scene, the disciples move from fear to peace. 
The disciples were gathered. It was later on that that same day, that Easter Sunday, and it's now evening time. They're gathered. They're in a closed room. It's the first day of the week. They're overcome. They're still filled with fear. The doors are shut. The doors are locked. There they are. They're afraid of the Jews. The death penalty is still hanging in the air. The body of Jesus is missing. They don't know where he is. They don't know what has happened. And Jesus showed up. He didn't use the entrance. He didn't come in through the door. He just showed up in the midst of them and he announces himself with peace, be with you. And then he says, look at my hands. And he he says, look at my side. And the disciples are moved with gladness. They're filled with gladness. They're filled with joy. Jesus had their full attention. And then Jesus had important things to say. Instead of scolding them, Instead of preaching at them, Jesus loved them. And he said, peace be with you. He said it two different times so that they would be affirmed in their inner person that he loves us. He did not come to destroy us. He came to give us life. He came to give himself so that we could have peace with God and peace in our relationships with one another. And then Jesus commissioned them. He said there, he said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And he would give the great commission three different times here in this room. He would also give that commission on a mountain in Galilee. And then before he ascended on the Mount of Olives, he would give three times, you are going to take this message and you are going to go tell the world. You're going to tell all people. You're going to make disciples. So go, baptize, teach. And in Matthew, he would promise, I'm with you always even to the end of the earth, age, the end of the age. And then Jesus does something unusual. He breathed on them. It's kind of maybe strange for us to think about why did he do that? Why was he preparing them to receive the Spirit of God? And when he breathed on them, it goes all the way back to Genesis. The creating God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. And when Jesus met with Nicodemus and Nicodemus had questions about what it means to be born again, what it means to be recreated, a new creation, to be born from above, and Jesus talked to him about the spirit and the wind blows, and now Jesus blows on them, and he's picturing the God who creates, and Jesus is God who recreates, and he blows on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He prepares them, anticipating the day of Pentecost, and that would happen in Acts chapter 2. And he empowered them. So he commissioned them, he breathed on them, and he empowered them. He said this, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What is he saying here? He's saying that his followers are given the keys to the kingdom. We're given the gospel. And we have the only terms whereby man can be forgiven and in right standing with God. And when we rightly declare the truth that our only hope is Jesus, when people turn and trust in Jesus, they're forgiven. And when we say there's no other way to the Father, there's no other way to be forgiven, and someone tries through religion or they try through good works or they try through whatever means, but There's no forgiveness to be found in any other way. And when we preach this, when we say this, Jesus is saying this is really true. 
There's no other hope but Christ. So the church heralds God's terms for forgiveness, that it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. These are the terms of the gospel. And we herald this news so that people will hear, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus was sinless. He died in my place to trust in him. If a person rejects Jesus as their only hope, listen to me, friend, there's no other hope. There's no other help. There's no other name given among men on earth by which we must be saved. There's only Jesus, Acts 4.12 tells us. So what do we see in this scene? Here we see the disciples move from fear to peace. And this is the peace that passes all understanding. They have seen with their eyes, they have heard with their ears, and they have handled with their hands the living Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He is alive. So now they have this peace. But somebody was missing. It was Thomas. He wasn't there. He missed church that day. He wasn't in the fellowship. He had something else to do. What else did he have to do? I don't know. But when he's confronted, he's like some people I know that go for a long time without being in church. And you say, hey, where were you? And they get sharp. And they, get, uh, they come back at you. Like, leave me alone. I can do what I want to do. Let's see this fourth scene. Because here we see the Lord is merciful to Thomas. He's so merciful to Thomas. And we see this beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, he should have been there. That's the title. He's called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's pretty strong words. Eight days later, so a week later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In this scene, we see Thomas transitioning from being faithless to faith-filled. The disciples told Thomas, hey, you missed Jesus. You should have been here. We've seen the Lord. Thomas retaliates Unless I see in his hands the mark, if I can put my fist into his side, then I'll believe. And if I don't see that, I will never believe. And Jesus, in his mercy 
And his grace comes back a week later and shows up once again, not using the entrance. He shows up, he says to them all, peace be with you. You remember how Jesus handled John the Baptist's doubts? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you have doubts? Do you have questions? I say it again, don't run from Jesus with your questions. Run to Jesus with all of your doubt, with all of your anxiety, with all of your fear, with all of your questions. Go to God. Go to Christ. To Thomas, he said, go ahead, Thomas, put your finger in my hands. Put your fist into my side. And then he commands him, do not disbelieve, but believe. He's saying, stop doubting and believe. And I would just take Jesus' words this morning and say that to you. Stop disbelieving. Stop doubting. Believe. How much more evidence do you need? How much more proof do you need but that you've been given today and you've been given the testimony of eyewitnesses who paid dearly with their lives, dying, saying, I cannot turn my back on the one who lives and loved me with his life. How have you tested the Lord through your own unbelief? Have you ever stopped, my friend, to consider how patient the Lord has been with you? When you see him patient with Thomas, and don't think for a second that that wasn't uncomfortable as, as, as could be when Thomas and Jesus looks at him in the room and there he is and Thomas, Jesus just zeroes in on him and says, hey Thomas, come here, come over here, put your finger into my hands, put your fist into my side, stop dis- disbelieving, believe Thomas, trust in me. How have you tested the Lord through your own personal unbelief or rebellion against God? Do you realize how patient he is and how loving he is and how merciful he is, not with just Thomas, but also with you? How patient he's been with me. Thomas responded with a bold confession of faith. Listen, my friend, he was not swearing. He was not taking and blaspheming the name of God when he said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. He was confessing the deity of Christ, that Jesus is worthy of worship, and Jesus did not correct him, and Jesus did not rebuke him, and Jesus did not say he was wrong. Jesus received this Confession of faith and worship from Thomas. Jesus makes an important statement that Peter would not forget. And he says, have you believed, Thomas, because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And there will be many who would come in the first century and on down right up until today that I've never met Jesus in person, but I believe. And listen to what the apostle Peter wrote. In 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, and he's talking about Jesus, to those first century Christians who were going through great trial, he says, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. What is the outcome of the Christian's faith? The salvation of your souls. 
So we see the Lord being merciful to Thomas in this fourth scene. And we see Thomas moving from being faithless to faith-filled. And that's my prayer for all who are watching this morning, that if you do not have faith in Christ, that you, like Thomas, will move from being faithless to being filled with faith that saves your soul. There's one more scene. There's one more scene, and this scene is personal. The fifth scene is this, that the Lord is magnified for you. This is the whole purpose and point of John's gospel, to make much of Christ Jesus, to make much of Christ so that you and I would believe, would know the truth, and that the truth would set us free, as it says, as Jesus said in John chapter 8. This gospel record is given so that you and I can move from death to life. In this gospel, and and we'll just read verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John gave to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the acts of Jesus Christ, his deeds, his words, his miracles, all of the divine signs that he did in the presence of his disciples and in others. But John did not record every miracle. He didn't record every teaching. He was selective in his account. And it was for a purpose. And it really was a divine, twofold purpose. One, so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, he is the Christ, the Son of God. And the second purpose is that by believing, you may have life in his name. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, it produces something in you. Life that never ends. So this gospel record is given so that you, my friend, can move like so many others have down through the centuries, that you can move from death to life, that you can go from darkness to light. John has orchestrated and put together and assembled this gospel for you. He's made much of Christ for you to know that your sin can be forgiven. In 1 John 5, 13, we've used this verse several times. Just the same author, I believe. And he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So I ask you again this morning, do you know that you have eternal life? That first resurrection, that morning changed everything so that we can in fact know that we have life that never ends. Life will never be the same again because Jesus is alive from the dead. He robbed the grave. He gives life that never ends. And this is the gospel. And I wanna be so clear that you understand the gospel. And it goes like this, G-O-S-P-E-L. G, God created us to know him, 
to worship him, to enjoy him, to love him, to serve him. God made us. We did not make ourselves, and we just didn't come into existence. He made us for his glory. But there was a problem, and in Genesis 3, our sins separated us from this holy God. And we, through Adam and Eve, were kicked out of that garden, and sin entered into the race. And that's why people are dying today of old age and of accidents and of a coronavirus. It's because of our sin. Sins are a problem for us, and sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. And there are people everywhere who think, if I go to church, if I do these things, if I don't do those things, then somehow I'll settle my sin account before God. If maybe if I'm baptized, or, or maybe if I have communion, or all of these things, all of those are insufficient. It's only the blood of Jesus that can wash away our sins. So the letter P says, paying the price for my sin, for your sin, Jesus Christ, he came. He lived the life that that you and I could never live. He laid down his life on, on the cross, the death that I deserved to die. And he was buried and he rose again. He defeated the enemy that otherwise we have no hope against. And he lives forevermore. And everyone, everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Christ Jesus alone will be given life that never ends. My friend, this is the gospel. This is the good news in a nutshell on one screen. And my question is this, have you received Christ? Have you believed in his gospel? gospel and he has washed your sin and made you his own, redeemed you in his own blood that he offered in our place. If not, he is ready and he is able and he is willing to save you today. He will do so, but you must turn from your sin and you must trust in him that if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says, you will be saved. And I'm inviting you, I'm urging you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ if you have never done that today, that this would be your prayer. Lord, I believe. And if you know Christ, this is your prayer. Lord, I believe you live and you reign and you will come again. My friend, if you've trusted in Christ today, if you've taken and you have admitted your sin to God and you have confessed Jesus as your Lord, you've surrendered your life to him, please reach out to us. Call the church office, send an email, uh, get connected through our, our Facebook page or through our web page or through Instagram. Connect with us through Twitter. We want to hear that you have given your life to Christ and we want to pray for you and we want to encourage you. We want you to know you're loved. This message, the message of Easter is this message, you are loved. You're loved by the one who matters most. Father, thank you for your love, thank you for your grace, and thank you for your mercy. I thank you for Jesus, I thank you for his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection, that he is victorious, and because he lives, then we too shall live. There is no grave that will hold our body down. There is no enemy that we cannot overcome because Jesus Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave.
and the grave. And we thank you for this reality, Lord. So right now, this morning, I pray for all who are listening. I pray for those who are serving during this pandemic, those who are on the front line, serving in hospitals, serving in doctor's offices, serving in assisted living homes and nursing care facilities, those who are caring for others. Father, I pray that you will bless them, protect them. I pray that this virus would come to an end. I pray that we would see your supernatural healing power. And most of all, God, I pray that people would have tender hearts toward you that we as a nation would turn away from our sin and we would trust in you and we long for the day when we will gather again and we will worship you in spirit and in truth in the assembly of the believers and we will welcome all that you have saved and redeemed in our local community and we will welcome them into fellowship and we will see them follow through the waters of baptism and grow in discipleship. We long for this day and we trust you for this day. So bless, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.